All right, I'd like to say it, it, it's a pleasure of working the square dance for such a good crowd. They is here tonight. And, and so uh, I'm Lee Sexton, and come on now, let's square dance. Get your partners. Let's square dance. You ready? I'm Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. We've got Missy Clifton sitting in. Here's our host, Tom Dupree. So this is Lee Sexton, Letcher County, Kentucky. And we're in the next half hour, you'll hear Gary LeBlanc from Mercy Chefs, who's up in Letcher County serving meals right now from the flooding damage. But Lee uh, was a guy who was well-known in Apple Shop, uh, did some recordings of his uh, music and, and things. He, they used to have a thing called Seed Time on the Cumberland. It would be in June, usually. And it was sponsored by Apple Shop. They had a lot of traditional music people playing and that kind of thing. So, And that's Apple, A-P-P-A-L shop, not the right. Apple that we know now. So I'm going to read uh, Psalm 80. And this is from, uh, this is the Psalm 80, starting at the third verse. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You've fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You know, the Bible is certainly full of all the ranges of human emotion. Not only the good stuff, uh, people who s- dismiss the Bible as saying, oh, it's preachy or this or that. They just simply haven't read it because there is so much of the blues and difficulty in the Bible. Uh, But one thing that you won't find in the Bible is um, the uh, discussion about uh, electric cars and the uh, making of of lithium batteries. Uh, But, you know... uh, Missy are, I'm, she, you know, they, they, they have a thing called a truffle hound. This is somebody, a dog that goes out and digs and, and digs stuff up, you know, and finds truffles. 
she's like a research person in that fact. She understands that only through great tenacity and you know um, resolve will you will you get the facts and and dig things up. And one of the things that I saw the other day, and I said, why don't you kind of look into it? She, turned out she already had. Um, was we've been told that fossil fuel bad, oil and gas bad, electric cars good, good for the environment, gonna help everybody, um, you know, get out of this whole thing. And totally ignored in that whole argument is not only what it costs in terms of environmental uh, degradation to generate the electricity, send it over the wires, charge your car, but the tremendous amount of uh, inputs that go into making a lithium battery that uses that these cars drive on. And so, I I don't know, she's done some looking. So, I I turn it over to you, Missy Clifton. No, you had more to say about it than that. Good grief. Well, I I think, well, I'll, I'll say something later. You can jump in and talk a little bit about what your research is. Well, I, and to to add a little bit more to what you were talking about as far as the news. I mean, if you're going to wait, um, if you're going to wait for the, if you're going to wait for mainstream media to package up what you need to know in this nice little, you know, soundbite that's given on your local news station, you you are, you're not getting the news. Um, if if you can't believe, we, we kind of knew that already. <laughs> I, I'm just I am I am stating the obvious that um, if you if you're not going to start digging on your own and looking at all sides of the story and certainly the things that are trying to be repressed in the news um, by our own government, um, then you're you're missing you're missing most of the story actually. So um, yeah, I mean, our, our, you're you're talking about our current administration has crushed the indus- in the energy industry, and even as the these uh, climate changing crusaders are flying around in their jets, um, you know, to, to that that doesn't seem to be a contradiction to anybody. Um, actually, what, I looked at an article the other day that said that Trudeau flew over sixteen thousand miles in July alone, lecturing his Canadians on climate change. God. You know, I mean, and, and, and they don't see the problem with that. Yeah. It's, you know, the, and the, uh, I, I love the fact that the left says they can't control gas prices, but they can fix the weather. So that's something yeah, that's, that's a little bit of, a little interesting. Um, I, I was kind of, I was curious. I, they, they actually believe this stuff. So that's the thing that's amazing. And uh, I, I saw a video of Biden's energy advisor, Amos Hochstein, Hochstein, something. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay, guy. he claimed Wednesday that it is factually not true that gas prices were increasing before the invasion of Ukraine. Apparently, he thinks that no one can't look that up. That I think gas prices was like over a dollar even before Ukraine. I mean, you know was, what he's? But but here's the the fact, and this goes. This is on us. The average low information Democrat will not bother to do their research. They'll just say, oh, that's right. They are betting on the fact that most people out there are simply not going to fact check. 
And okay, and, and that that is true. That that's true. Okay, let, let's just look at um, Biden's own. And good lord, I do not know how to pronounce this man's name, but a gig. <laughs> but let's not go there. gig. But a gig. How do you say that? I Pete, don't have a way. Pete. Beauty gig. It's I think it's Buddha Judge or Buddha something. Get, Buddha yeah, Judge. Yeah, yeah, Buddha Buddha Judge. I have no clue, but uh, you you know who I'm talking about. B U T T. Yeah. I G I E G. Yeah. Okay. All right. So so he's making this big. Statement. You may be like the only person in the world with that last name. I mean, if there are others, I don't it's, know of them. It's 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 unique for yeah, sure. It's very unique. Um. So he was talking about, you know, his he was opining that he thinks that the gas price increase is actually beneficial because he thinks that it will it will help usher in this Biden um, incent, you know, this this goal is that we will have by 2030. So in basically seven and a half years that all cars sold, 50 percent will be electric. Well, and, and then then we will have no power at all. And that, uh, to that point, I thought this was very interesting. If anybody just wants to take the time, and it's easy to find, it's not been taken down because it's just a video of Thomas Massey um, addressing uh, Mr. Buttigieg. But the only one I've seen is where he's addressing John Kerry. But no, he's he's he is asking he's asking Pete. I'll just we'll just go by Pete B. Yeah. Pete B. If he knew what impact electrical mandates would have on the grid, so it's a video of him asking him, do you know what the mandates, what, 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 what's, what's going to happen to the grid? And then he proceeds to provide him, when Pete Buttigieg says, uh, you know, yeah, it'll, you know, yeah, it'll, it'll be a In little bit words, more. In other words, no. He really didn't understand. Yeah. He, he, he said he, he acknowledged that, that the grid would have to be, the infrastructure would have to be changed to, to keep up with this? Okay. Um, but Thomas Massey, it, it is, it, it's really golden. He, he basically responds with just simple fifth grade math it, and equates it to an air conditioning. You know, how much that basically I think he says something along the lines that 17% of the average American's household bill goes towards air conditioning. Yeah. And that an electrical, one electrical car is like four times the electricity. So he was equating it to, to like having, um, I, I loved it. He five was, air conditioners on yeah, 24 oh, no, no, he's and also like 25 refrigerators in your home. Really? Yeah, and and so he was talking. So it's that much electricity. It's that much electricity, and and so in in other words, that you know that it is it's it's simply impossible with our current infrastructure, and and Pete B acknowledged that, but he didn't really come up with that that well thought out plan. You know, great, let's all go to electric cars. Well, well, wait a minute, stop. Not so great. We're not yeah. ready for that. No, we're it's not. not. Im- it's impossible currently, right now, and it's certainly not. It you know the discussion is it's not even feasible to imagine that that would be okay by twenty thirty. All right. Well, I've been and in the, the twenty thirty five. All all you know, we'd be all electronic cars. No, not electronic. Electric. Ele- sorry, <laughs> did all I right. say electronic? Sorry. So I've been in the power business. I've generated a. I I built a 
generator that sells electric sold electric power to a utility. We're not in that business anymore. Okay, first of all, um, there is nothing more efficient than power directly from the source where it's being generated. That's why we put these generators out on the grid instead of having them come uh, from from a long distance. To, and somehow, in the thinking of electric utilities, they don't even think about what's called takedown or the diminution of power as it travels a long way over a power line. I don't know if you've ever been near transmission lines on a very cold day. Not I'm not talking about the the local power lines that go through a neighborhood, but those big transition transmission lines that you see on those big hundred and something foot tall towers that are out in the country, usually going through some rural area for a long distance. You will see if it's been frosty or something, and then the sun starts coming out. A lot of times you'll see steam rising off of the transmission line. You know why that is? Is because it's generating a small amount of heat. The electricity running through the line is generating heat. Whenever there's heat being generated, you're losing a little bit of the actual electricity. Electricity is measured just like water. You got amps and volts. Volts is sort of the volume. Amps is how hard it's coming. Uh, and you're, you, you have a loss of amperage. That's why they have what are called capacitors and resistors. These are things that either build up power or resist power. It, it Just think of electric power like you would water, and you'll be pretty close to understanding what happens. So the, the fact is the most efficient way to, I mean, really, if you wanted real efficiency, every appliance would have its own little diesel generator attached to it. Cause you're not running it through the line. That's not going to happen. But the, the point is electrical current and the conduct conduction of it is highly inefficient. If you want to provide motive power, that's make wheels turn. The most efficient way to do it is to have that power plant right there in the vehicle that you're driving, not 200 miles away coming across wires. So end of lecture. (laughs) End of lecture. Well, to Thomas Massey's point is that um, even even if there were improvements in the infrastructure, um, you know we are just so far away from this pipe dream of, of the fifty percent or hundred percent electric cars, and that all we are doing is going to set up a blackouts in cities. Um, and you talk about you know we're we're warm we're warm here in, in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, imagine what it's like when it's you know people out in Arizona that literally are relying on air conditioning. Um, and all of a sudden we're going to start parceling that out. Uh, it just, you know there, what the best, the best conductor is for electricity? What's that? Gold. You know that there are some guitar players, at least this used to be, there's some stereo enthusiasts that the, the electric cord that they run from their amp to the amplifier, from their amplifier to their speakers there are, there are people that actually have gold cords. You know, it's like 
two thousand dollars for your your speaker leads, but it's the best conductor. The next best is silver. Can you imagine putting silver power lines no. all over the countryside to to make sure you're you're conducting better? Because what they've got up there now is aluminum, mm-hmm. and that's like one of the worst conductors. Putting up iron or steel is unbelievably expensive and a lot of the grid that we have now is old and was built when the money could be borrowed a lot cheaper and prices were cheaper for for commodities so go ahead well let me throw this with a little little tidbit out to you as i was doing my my research um came up came across a brand new npr article which i thought was pretty interesting our U.S. taxpayers, that would be you, me, and everybody else, um, spent $15 million on research to build a breakthrough battery in Washington. This thing is, this is really interesting. This thing was about as big as a refrigerator, was going to be able to, I mean, it was, it was going to supply, this, this was going to, it was going to be an amazing opportunity for energy in the United States. Big as a refrigerator. Listen to this. But, I mean, like next to your, you know, your air conditioning stuff outside. But let, let me just tell you what happened here. They made this great breakthrough discovery. Guess who has it now? China. It was sold to China. Taxpayers spent $15 million on research to build a breakthrough battery, and the U.S. government gave it to China. You say 15 or 50? 15 million. 15 million. So instead of the batteries becoming the great next American success story, the warehouse is now shuttered and empty. All the employees that were working there were laid off, and it is now being made very successfully in, do you say Dalian? D-A-L-I-A-N, China. Chinese company didn't steal the technology. It was given to them by by the U.S. Department of Energy. First in 2017 as part of a sub-license and later in 2021 as part of a license 17, transfer. that was under Trump. Yep. So that would have happened. It's a fascinating story. That would have happened under Trump. I mean, you know, you look at our world today, and I don't know how anything is going to change other than the hand of God. I mean, I look at the stupidity, the absolute... And the way the thinking is today, most people you would think are smart really aren't. I started finding that out a long time ago. I used to think older men, I want to learn from them. I found out I knew more than a lot of them did, and uh, including <laughs> close family members. And, uh, you know, you just have to – you have to have your own thirst for knowledge and truth, and you have to pursue it, and you have to be willing to be unbiased in your looking. But when you finally get to what you think you've found and you know what's the truth, then you have to become very biased in favor of the truth. You, you, once you've seen the truth, you can't pretend to have not seen it. You know, things you see that you can't unsee. You know, you've been doing a lot of that lately with a lot of the research you've done. Stuff that you see that you wish you could unsee, but you can't. Well, it's great. I know the in the third hour, if people will stick with you until the 9 to 10 o'clock additional hour, you're, I know you're interviewing David Kloiber, um, who is one of the uh, candidates for mayor. Um, 
will be um, going against Linda Gordon in the November election. And um, it'll be interesting. I'd like, I'm interested to hear what he has to say, because I would like to unsee some of the stuff I've seen in downtown Lexington, that's for sure. <laughs> As a new resident of downtown Lexington, it is not the Lexington that I thought. It hasn't been easy for you. It is not the place that I thought. Um, but see, you can make it better. <laughs> I can make it better you, now. You, you have such a, a, a winning smile. And, yeah. You know, you... Okay. Yeah, and now that Missy has mentioned that 9 to 10 hour, that is a new addition to the Tom Dupree Show. We've added, for the time being, the 9 to 10 hour, and we hope you'll listen to it to help us decide whether to keep on keeping on with that extra hour. Um, I already we, had one guy tell me he liked it. So. Well, yeah, I mean, that's you hope for that. Um, you also hope that people will... Tune in week after week. So, that said, we are going to close out this hour. And, oh, and I want to talk uh, about monkey pox. Gee. That's why we're jumping. We're jumping really, really fast. <laughs> uh, you've been listening to the Tom yeah. Dupree Show with Missy Clifton and Tom they Dupree. They got vaccines for that, too. Our financial guide. <laughs> Only our, one company's okay, making Okay, it's my turn. Adarsh Mashru is going to be joining us in the next hour to tell us about the market's the market this week and then uh, Gary LeBlanc will be coming in the second half of this hour stay tuned we'll be back in just a minute Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. We've got a special guest joining us. It's Gary LeBronc from Mercy Chefs. And we always love to talk to Gary. We don't always like it when he's back in Kentucky because that means that some kind of disaster has happened. So without further ado, here's our host, Tom Dupree. Hey, Gary. Um, you know, as we all know, uh, we've had a horrible catastrophe in Eastern Kentucky, huge amounts of rain falling in a very concentrated area very quickly uh, caused unprecedented flooding. And many people uh, in Whitesburg, where you are, have said it's the highest ever recorded by several feet. Um, Mercy Chefs, which is your organization, comes uh, and feeds meals to folks that uh, – are typically, you know, sometimes without power, without homes, without access to food, um, and you guys get there very quickly, um, and you have deployed to Whitesburg. We really appreciate what you do for our state and for places all around the country and the world. Uh, one of your most recent deployments has been in the Ukraine. You're still there helping uh, displaced people through, from the war in Ukraine. And the uh, organization is Mercy, M-E-R-C-Y, Chefs, C-H-E-F-S. And I'm speaking with Gary LeBlanc, who's the uh, 
founder and the, I guess you'd call him the CEO of, of Mercy Chefs. Gary, thanks for being on the uh, Tom Dupree show today. Happy to be back with you, Tom. I just wish it wasn't, like you said, in a disaster like this. I, I want to come to Kentucky for fun, not for work. Well, <laughs> you know, my guess is that in your business, because you are so available, you find yourself working most of the time. And uh, I guess that's just one of the hazards of the job. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's talk a little bit about the situation, you know, in Letcher County there and also uh, counties nearby, not County, which is Hindman. Um, you've had problems in Hazard, which is Perry County, Jackson, uh, which is Breathitt County. And you guys have been not only feeding meals in Whitesburg at the high school, uh, Letcher County High School, but you've been sending meals to uh, a lot of these little communities that are in some ways almost cut off from other places and you guys are getting through with hot meals for these folks. Yeah, we're, we're getting to a lot of places, even now a week, a, a week afterwards. And we're, we're, you know, some of the first people to be into them. And we are sending food out to three counties around where we are. Probably 75% of the meals we're serving are off site. They're going out from here um, to these small enclaves and, um, it just is overwhelming how many places were affected by this. We've heard people say that have been living here all their lives and their parents and grandparents before them, that they've seen floodwaters before, but this was fully seven feet above anything that's been, been seen in history. Um, places that, that, that would usually be safe proved to be fatal in many cases for the folks here yeah that's the that's the absolute tragedy of it it's like having an earthquake uh, in your house is sitting on an area where you thought would would have been safe just a little uh, uh, geology and geography the uh, the Whitesburg and, and the, the areas that uh, he's talking about are in the upper Kentucky River watershed if you go over Pine Mountain over into the over into Harlan County, uh, you're in the Cumberland River watershed, that, and that's the Cumberland River, which actually flows down through Nashville. Its it, its headwaters are in Harlan County. I don't think, from what I've heard, the the Cumberland River side wasn't hit near as bad as the Kentucky River side, and and you can probably verify that or tell me no, it it was on both sides. Um, yeah, they, it, it was on both sides, but certainly you're right. It was much worse on this side, just just beyond beyond description. Uh, there, there's not a, a picture that could show what it really looks like or feels like over here. So let me ask you this, and not only in terms of Mercy Chefs, but just the general um, situation on the ground in uh, – in uh, in Letcher County, uh, now we know that the people need prayers, and of people who do pray and are 
praying people, that's something to, of course, always do, despite the fact that some of our politicians tell us it's, it's not, it should not be the response. I think for those of us who believe in God, it should always be the response, the first response. But um, what would be, you know, some of the other things that you've noticed that people are, are without and need help with other than a hot meal? Yeah, it's it's the things here that, that can't be replaced immediately. I mean, the power grids that are down, the water is out in so many places. The water mains are gone. It's not that they, they're they on boil alerts. It's just that they don't have water, and right. it's not going to happen for months, Tom. I mean, the, the, the infrastructure here that's been lost. I mean, a lot of these po- people up in this, this, this part of the country were barely holding on. I mean, it's been a very tough time economically and, and socially for years up here. And, and what, what little shred of hope they have left, I, I believe in some places, it, it just, you almost get the feeling in some of the small enclaves, like they're the, you know, just broke the back of the town. Right. Gary, let me ask you something. This is going to be a little different than maybe the typical question you get asked by a news uh, or or media type of outlet. You've been on so many of these things, uh, deployments to places where people have really uh, been face-to-face with the abyss, if you will, at least in terms of their physical well-being do you sense i guess the word would be a spiritual hunger that that begins to take place in people that are uh, up against these kinds of adversities and and difficulties i mean do you do you see things that happen to folks uh, spiritually, uh, that when every uh, sort of uh, human uh, uh, prop that they have has been knocked out from under them, do you see something that that happens in the spiritual realm? Well, you know, us, us humans are pretty stubborn folks, and when everything is stripped away and you have nothing left to hold on to, you reach you reach for that lifeline. You reach for the only thing that you can cling to. And for so many people, they, they just recognize when everything else has failed, when everything else has been stripped away, the, the Lord is the only thing left. And, and they'll reach out in those times when they never would before. And that's why I think it's so important for us to be here and not preach to anybody, but just, just show what, what the gospel is, be that tangible love. I mean, I, I hear people say all the time, you know, everybody's pretty much heard the gospel. You know, people don't need to hear the gospel anymore. They, but what they haven't had is they haven't had somebody show them the gospel. It right. hasn't been tangible. It hasn't intersected with their life. And um, the people here are really looking for something. And they, they just need to know they're not forgotten. Right. And they need to know that there's still hope. And um, um, I, I put my hope a long time ago in the Lord and, and I'm happy to come and do what I can and just let that be a, a witness of the Lord's love. You know, I don't need to use words. I just need to work hard. 
Right. Well, I mean, you're a guy that when you're there, there's a feeling of love. And uh, this is a guy that sort of cut his chops. Uh, and we've talked to Gary a few times on the show before, but he got his, he got going in the hospitality business in, uh, in, in some of the nicer, uh, restaurants and hotels in, in new Orleans, Louisiana, which of course is probably the food capital of the United States. So he knows the difference between a good meal and a not so good meal. And one of the motivating things for Gary, and I don't want to tell all of your story, but was that he felt like uh, with a lot of these relief efforts that were out there, the food that was being served was was kind of just subsistence level, and that was pretty much it. And so his desire was to say, you know, they need not only a hot meal, a nutritious meal, but a meal that actually tastes good, something that they would feel like somebody – put some thought, effort, and love into, and that's the absolute hallmark of Mercy Chefs, which Gary founded because of Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. Um, It's the idea that we're going to not only feed people, we're going to kind of feed them in style a little bit. It's not a five-star restaurant meal, but it's something that's better than just uh, K-rations, if you will. Well, we do hope that's the case. Right? We, we had somebody walk up a little while ago, and, and they were just like, you know, how many Michelin stars do you have? And did they say like, that? Did they did. I oh, said, my gosh. Any, like, I don't got any stars. And he's like, I think you ought to have two at least. He's, we, we did pot roast last night with fresh-cut roast potatoes. He could not stop talking about dinner. Oh, it's a great meal. I mean, I, you know, I've seen it served, and I'm going to try to get up there. It's just a matter. I'm trying to get you as many people, and I know you've met with a couple of folks today down, yeah. there, down there in Whitesburg, and, and I'm trying to surround you with as many people as I know uh, that uh, can come down and, and, and perhaps be of help to you. Um, let me ask you this. Um, do you you talk about hope? Um, do you see that the community and you haven't been there long enough to really probably comment on this? But is there going to be a way forward for these folks? Sometimes a disaster actually causes people to look at the way they've been doing things and maybe they're planning and say, you know what, this, this all needs to be scrapped and started over again. Has, have you heard of anybody, uh, saying things like that? Yeah, we've, we've, we've seen a couple of places that that really is the only thing that it's going to make sense. Um, you know, everybody wants to go home and, and, some people just aren't going to have that home to go to. And some people are going to have the opportunity to move forward now, but you've got a small, a small enclave or something and they've lost their, their entire infrastructure. No, no water, no sewer, the power is out. It's how, how much can be spent to to rebuild or or re-energize that little town when there was nothing really left of it before. And I, I think there are some communities here that, 
that are, are not going to make it back. But there are other communities here. The resolve of people in Kentucky is amazing to me. There are other communities here I know that are going to come back even stronger. And so we just want to be a part of that. We, we want to comfort the folks that have lost so much, but we want to stay and do all we can to help them rebuild. Gary, you have been big time on the ground in Mayfield, Kentucky, other end of the state, uh, where the tornadoes hit. What has it been about a year ago now, or maybe even a little less than that? Hadn't even been a full year, has it? Uh, no, no, it was de- December 10th. I'll okay. never forget that. All right. I, I don't ever, sometimes I don't get it right. I don't, I know you can't compare catastrophes and they all have their own nature, but what would you say some of the similar things to the Mayfield uh, tragedy are and what things are different with uh, Mayfield as compared to uh, Eastern Kentucky? I think one of the, 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 the similarities between the two was that tornado outbreak back in December last year was, was widespread and extensive. And it, it stretched over multiple states, but it, it nearly affected Kentucky from east to the west. And so it was very widespread damage. And I think that's the same thing here with the floods. It is just everywhere has been affected. There, there's no part of eastern Kentucky that was spared in these floods. And so the widespread nature of these two disasters is just unprecedented in my experience. I, I, I've rarely seen anything as widespread in either location. And to have it eastern Kentucky and western Kentucky in the same calendar year is just, just I don't know, I, it's just beyond understanding. Um, so that's, that's the similarities in them is the widespread nature of it. Um, a lot of the differences were over in western Kentucky, there was still a lot to work with to rebuild and here in Eastern Kentucky, there's not, there's not as quite as much. There's not the same enterprise. There's not the same economy. Um, the engine's not running as hard over here, but I do know, I do know that there, there is an opportunity here for the folks to, to find hope and to rebuild. Right. You know, you've been just an amazing servant to the state of Kentucky and I know you know well enough to know that you don't take the credit, Gary LeBlanc, or even Mercy Chef. You you look and you listen to to what God's telling you to do and where to go, and you've done things. and And I've been amazed just in the little time I've uh, you know uh, been acquainted with uh, your organization. And, I, and I've said to Joanne, "How can?" <laughs> You know, and, and I, I said, how is this happening? And she just laughs. And, and you know, and I think everybody in your organization kind of does. And they're just, they can't believe it at times that we were actually a part of what's going on. But it's almost like God's got his hand on this state trying to get our attention some way. And I don't understand it. I believe that the way the Lord operates and then I'm a novice at this stuff after trying to follow him for 50 years, but I still think that sometimes he leaves hints where we, we got to wake up and figure out what is our destiny here? What are we trying? What's, 
what are we being told to do? You know, we're, we're entering into great suffering, but sometimes on the other side of great suffering can be wonderful, great victories and great things. And I don't know, you've been here a bunch lately. You might have a, some ideas on that or you may not. And you, you know, I leave, I leave things that are smarter than me to people that are smarter <laughs> than me. And things, things, things of the Lord, I leave to the Lord. I just know what I have to do when something happens. But you're right. I mean, you know, Lord grabbed Western Kentucky and now he's grabbed Eastern Kentucky and he's shaking the state. And um, that's what uh, it seems like to me. It's a shaking. Yeah, well, he wants when he wants your attention. I mean, there's nobody can get your attention like the Lord, and so I don't I don't know what he's saying. But if I lived in the middle of the state, I'd be listening very ah, carefully. You right better now. that's me. That's me, buddy. Right, <laughs> right here. Oh, so, yeah. Gary, how many meals have you served at this point in Eastern um, Kentucky? This deployment, Eastern Kentucky, we're at about sixteen thousand meals right now. Um, yesterday we did 2,500, we'll do 3,000 today. Uh, we have ordered and prepped to do 4,000 a day through the weekend. And then we're going to carry that at least through all of next week into next weekend. And so you deploy, you were there within what, 12 hours of when the disaster occurred. Did I see that somewhere? It was pretty quick. Yeah. I think, I think the, you know, of course, everything is all jumbled up in my mind right now, but I think the flood happened Thursday night. I was on a plane Friday and our team was here Saturday and cooking. And so we, so we not, didn't, we didn't, we didn't waste any time. Yeah. That's for you, those of you who don't know, Gary brings this, they have these big mobile kitchens, big trailers, and they bring them in. And these suckers are awesome. I mean, they are really, unbelievable they crank out the yeah food. and they can flat get it done and it's it's hot and it's good and it's nutritious yeah. and um and i i think it's so impressive also that you are you've got food going to outposts so you're not waiting for people to come to you you are going to the people and in eastern kentucky that is um really necessary well, we have to go to the people i mean they've lost their cars the roads are down I, there, there, there's no bus system over here. I mean, these these folks are 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 isolated and trapped where they are. A lot, a lot of folks still haven't gotten out. There, there are still folks that are 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 still isolated. I mean, three days ago we had the rains earlier in the week. They were still doing water rescues on Tuesday. Um, so it it's you have to go to them. You have to, and that's what Mercy Chef does. We go to the need, and we do whatever. We have to do to meet that need. Well, and for people that want to donate, it's Mercy Chefs, M-E-R-C-Y-C-H-E-F-S dot com, correct? That's it, mercychefs.com. You can find out how to pray for us. You can find out how to volunteer. We've seen an amazing outpouring of volunteering here in eastern Kentucky. You can go right there to the website and sign up for a shift. Uh, and you can find out how to support us financially. And there uh, also, and that's, yeah, that's, there's also a Facebook page that has lots of pictures and details about what you're doing too. And so. if you give the money, it gets turned into a meal the next day. So. And how many meals do you get? I saw something for thirty dollars. You provide how many meals, Gary? 
Uh, Thirty dollars is probably about um, eight meals, nine meals. Our grocery costs this year have gone way up. Um, but but yeah, we're 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 doing all we can with a dollar. I promise you that. All right, we got to jump. Thanks for joining us, Gary. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show. We'll be back in just a few minutes.